Okay, if you would turn with me to Judges uh, chapter 7, last couple verses, we'll move on to chapter uh, 8 this evening, but uh, I want to look at verse 23 through 25 in Judges chapter 7. It reads, And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher and all of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Beth Barah and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Beth Barah and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb, and pursued Midian, and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. Now, chapter 8, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, that being Gideon, said, Why hast thou served us thus? that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites. And they did chide with Gideon sharply. Now what Ephraim is saying here is this. You, you, why, have you, why have you neglected us? Why have you overlooked us? Why didn't you call on us to fight? And more importantly, why didn't you call on us first? Gideon was of the tribe of Manasseh, and as you know, Ephraim and Manasseh were brothers, and, and Jacob gave preference to Ephraim, who the youngest. Remember when he gave them the, the birthright, his hands crossed, and he blessed, gave Ephraim the birthright, even though Manasseh was the older brother. And even though he was the firstborn, Ephraim received the blessing of the firstborn, and what we find here is actually nothing but just wounded pride and pride of grace. Mm -hmm. According to the law of Moses, the elder shall serve the younger. And that is a picture of the old covenant serving the new covenant. The new covenant takes precedence over the old, just as Ephraim took precedent over Manasseh. You know, Mr. Spurgeon once said, I've heard Brother Henry quote, quote this many times, but it was Brother Spurgeon that I believe uh, said it originally. He said, God deliver us from the pride of race, the pride of face, the pride of place, and the pride of grace. Mm -hmm. You know, we have no reason to be proud of our race, our nationality, where we're from. None of us had anything to do with our parents, what color they were, where, where they lived, nothing at all. Face, appearance, how we look, nothing, nothing to, to take pride in that over. What about place, our position, our standing in the world? Well, so-and-so's got a big job. He's got a big business. There's no, uh, nothing to be proud of there. It's the Lord that gives us these things. It's the Lord that gives us the, the health and the ability to work. So uh, none of these things were to take pride in, but pride of grace, 
My, my. That's depending on grace without depending on God. You know, there's a lot of people that do that. It's to make grace something you earned by your own doing and strength, which is not grace at all. I forget who it was. One of the commentators said, should a mud wall be proud because the sun shines on it? How can one be proud of a free gift? Grace itself cannot be proud, yet we ourselves can be proud of grace. Verse 1 tells us that Ephraim was upset. He did chide with Gideon sharply. They, these men of, of uh, Ephraim, they, they used some rough words. They used some uh, bad language. And our Lord said that out of the abundance of the heart, a man speaks. And the men of Ephraim's language proved anger and wrath and envy and jealousy and ill will. They were upset. That word chide means to scold. This just wasn't a little uh, disagreement. I mean, they said, what is your problem? Can you just imagine the conversation? Have, have you ever been scolded? It's not very pleasant. It's to give one a piece of your mind. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Well, I've had somebody do that to me before. <laughs> it's not very pleasant. They gave Gideon a piece of their mind. But any time and every time that we're angry or our anger is really against God. I, I wish that we could uh, grab a hold of that. God, it's against God since it's God who predestines and ordains all things. Is there evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? All trouble, all calamity is sin of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of folks that struggle with that. I talked to a man just this week, struggles with that. He who works all things after the counsel of his own will, works all things together for the good of his chosen people. The Lord had whittled down Gideon's army from 32,000 down to 300. God had no intention of using the men of Ephraim in the first part of this battle. God... But God did use them. And all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they cut their heads off and they brought their heads to the other side of Jordan. And when Gideon crosses the Jordan to meet up with the men of Ephraim, he sees the heads of these two princes. And it becomes very obvious, I believe, to Gideon that the Lord had blessed them too. It's the Lord that does the blessing. We're in this thing together. Uh, we rejoice in the blessings of others as if we ourselves were blessed. Lord, help me to be more that way. When somebody else prospers, somebody else, the Lord blesses somebody, we ought to rejoice. We ought to rejoice that the Lord's blessed them. We're members of the same body. So he's blessed us too, hadn't he? Now the history of Ephraim is an interesting one in relation to Manasseh. They always exhibited a trait that can be described as, as pride of grace. As a matter of fact, that's what I titled this for whatever it's worth. They always seemed envy and jealous as, 
if and when the tribe of Manasseh was honored in any way. We'll see that, I believe, in chapter 12. Again, it was obvious that God had blessed Gideon uh, and the people of Manasseh. But uh, Ephraim, too, is also blessed, but he's angry and he seems unable and unwilling to rejoice in the success of his brother. Now, why was the slaughter of Oreb and Zeb such a great victory and success? You know, a little uh, study into their names gives us some insight. We discover a great deal when we consider their names. Oreb means raven. You know what a raven is, that black bird that's always on the side of the road eating dead things. And Zeb means wolf. Ravens are known for their hunger of flesh. The word ravening and ravenous originate from the word raven. Many of the Jewish commentators believe that these were the nicknames given to these two princes. These weren't their original names. Oreb's nickname pictured him as a ruthless killer who devoured his enemies with the passion of a raven. Uh, have you ever been ever seen a raven on in the road and you you drive and they fly off and before you can look in your rearview mirror they're already back on that dead carcass and eating it again they're just they're passionate about it and Orb was passionate about murder oh he and Zeb wasn't any different his name means wolf this was a, a nickname I believe well a wolf is a skillful predator with an unquenchable appetite and desire for killing. Gluttonous for killing would be a good way of saying it. And these two princes were notable killers. How interesting is it that the Lord described false prophets this way? Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Oreb was killed upon a rock. I'm I'm certain that that was named the Rock of Oreb after he was killed upon the rock, but that rock pictures Christ. Zeb was killed at a wine press. The blood of God, the blood of Christ, slays or saves. One or the other. And the point I'm endeavoring to make is this. God blessed Ephraim with this notable effort and instead of rejoicing with his brother Gideon, they felt cheated and shunned. And I'm telling you, it's nothing but wounded pride of grace. And it ought not be among the people of God. Now again, verses 2 and 3 of Judges 8. And he, Gideon, said unto them, what have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? Now in a very mild and gentle manner with soft words, the scripture says turns away wrath. That's what Solomon said. Gideon says, what have I done in comparison to you? All we did was blow trumpets. All we did was break clay pots. All we did was just hold torches. It was the Lord that set the Midianites one against the other to slay each other. It was the Lord that did it. We didn't do anything. 
That's nothing compared to what you've done. You have the heads of two murderous princes of Midian. And the Lord blessed us, and the Lord blessed you, and it was all God's doing. That's what Gideon's saying. He says, Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? In other words, we only started the fight. We, we set the enemy to running, but you, Ephraim, has done the gleaning. You, you've done the cleaning up. You've done the... Uh, is, is not the gleaning better? And what Gideon is saying is this. Uh, the weak in the house of, of Ephraim is better than the strong of Ab- Abiezer. And, and Abiezer was Gideon's family. He's saying the weakest man among you is stronger than me, better than me. I'm I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I can do nothing. Gideon didn't have any interest in sharing in God's glory. Why would anyone, really? Why would any of us desire, once we've truly seen what God's done for wretched sinners, why would any of us want to try to do something that's already been finished perfectly for us and then take glory in that Folks who are proud of their grace love to have good things said about them. And that was the case here. It says, Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. (laughs) Folks who are proud of their grace love, love to have good things said about them. That was the case with the Pharisees, wasn't it? The Lord said in John chapter 5, I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. I come in my Father's name and you receive me not. But if another come in his own name, him you'll receive. You receive one another. In Matthew, how, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? In Matthew chapter 23, the Lord Jesus said, but all their works, speaking of the Pharisees, He said, all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. They stuff these pears in their, in their robes that look like they got on shoulder pads and they'd walk down the street and folks would say, oh, now there's a, there's a godly man right there. Look at all the folks he's praying for. And they're doing it to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And they love the upper room at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and their greetings in the marketplaces. And they love to be called of men rabbi, rabbi. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. We have only one father, we have only one master, and we have only one teacher, and that's God. We're all taught of God, aren't we? No man has any reason to be proud. No reason whatsoever, especially especially with grace. Freshly proud of their grace that was freely given. Now, no doubt Gideon's response to Ephraim is one of a mature believer. It's a response of graciousness. Uh, He's saying that his victories are not even to be compared with the honor due Ephraim. 
Well, you took these kings and you, we didn't do anything compared to what you did. And Ephraim's pride is stroked and he's satisfied with Gideon's response because to Ephraim, it meant that Gideon, as a, the tribe of Manasseh, knew his place. Gideon, you remember back all those years ago when our father Jacob blessed us, blessed Joseph's two boys, and he gave me the birthright. He should have called me first, but we'll let it slide because you've said some good things today. And here Gideon is, is bowing to the providence of God. Though Gideon was of Manasseh, the firstborn Ephraim was given that place by God through Jacob and Gideon of Manasseh bows to it. I'm sure it wasn't easy. I know something about man's nature because I have one. I have a fallen nature. I know what it's like. I battle with the old man every day. I hope we're able to see and understand that our depravity is real. It really is. And may God enable us, as he did Gideon, to take the lower seat and honor others above ourselves. Well, I haven't done anything compared to you. I made mention Sunday that religion today feels entitled. It, it does. I mean, they do feel entitled to... Religion says if we suffer, then everyone should suffer. If someone's blessed, we ought to be blessed too. This jealousy reveals our entitled feelings. Natural men and women feel that since they are blessed with grace, they should have it better than others. God warns us against such thinking. And whatever God warns us of, that is a good reason to know that it's a, it's a real problem. Whatever God warns us of in the Scriptures, you can bet it's a real problem with, with us. 1 Corinthians 8-2. I want to read you a few passages here. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. Galatians 6-1-3. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. How about 1 Corinthians 4, 7? We all know that verse. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? And if thou didst receive it, why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? There'd be no need of such an admonishment if we didn't look at God's grace as something that we earned, deserved, or merited. There'd be no reason to be admonished. Everything uh, that grace gives, God gave us. <laughs> Everything. He gave this grace to us in Christ. It was because of what Christ did for us, not what we did for God. So it makes it unearned, deserved, and unmerited. Why do we glory as if we hadn't received it? That's what Paul's asking. If you received it, what do you have to brag about? Thus saith the Lord, let the, not the wise man glory in his wisdom, 
Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. If you want to glory in something, glory in the fact that God has revealed Christ to you. And then he gets all the glory. He said that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. We have no wisdom but that which we have in Christ. He's made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We have no might, no strength. When we were without strength, Christ died for us. Isn't that right? We don't have any strength but that which God hath given us in Christ. Our needs are supplied not according to our personal riches. I don't care how much money you have in the bank, it would never be enough. A rich man cannot glory in his riches. It's in Christ in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of what? His grace. Now that's where we're rich in Christ. We have the riches of his grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 19, verse 17, Paul wrote, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Is there any other place to glory? Not in his or herself, not in outward circumstances, not in wisdom, knowledge, learning, not in eloquence, not in your own righteousness, not in your own labors, not in works that you've done. Let him that glories, glory in the Lord. Pretty specific. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. You know, a man and woman goes out on a job interview, and the employer asks for a reference and someone to commend them for the position, and that applicant says, well, I commend myself. And... Uh, that, that, that'd be praise to ourselves, wouldn't it? We can't ascribe this commendation to ourselves. Self-commendation stands for nothing. And, and it's nauseous and it's disagreeable to God. I'm telling you. We can't ascribe it. The wise man Solomon wrote, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. Paul said, Let every believer be of one mind, like-minded, um, of one accord. No strife, no vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let him esteem other better than themselves. Lord, help me to do that. Help me to do that. You know, that's exactly what Gideon did. He didn't need the praise of men. He knew the Lord had done it all. He gave the preeminence to Ephraim. He esteemed Ephraim better than himself. And all of us, every blood-bought sinner that trusts in Christ, we've got to give all the preeminence to Christ. For he's the head of the body. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. All things. Everything, everything. Preeminence means to be first. <laughs> Lord, what have I done in comparison to you? 
We cannot do what the holy law of God demands. We cannot provide the perfect righteousness holy justice requires. We cannot render the perfection needed to be accepted of God. How then are we accepted? In the beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the perfect one. And he who knew no sin and did no sin, in the one who is well beloved of the Father, in the one who provides all for us that God requires of us. I was thinking about this just today. There's, you know, there's really not a soul alive that cannot understand the simple statement, salvations of the Lord. Now there's, I understand that some folks don't believe it, but that's not what I'm talking about. That is, there's only one way you could take that. Salvation is of the Lord means the Lord is salvation. In order for salvation to be of the Lord, that means that the Lord had to provide it. It's of the Lord. That little preposition of, O-F, identifies the source. You see, Biden is the president of the United States. He's not the president of Russia. He's the president of the United States. I'm the pastor of Bible Baptist Church. Jesus Christ is the Lord of salvation. The source between the unsaved and the saved is the Lord. The source of salvation between the lost and the found is the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Gideon's telling the men of Ephraim how blessed they are and who it was that blessed them. We have no reason to take pride in the grace that we've been shown. Look at verse 3 again. God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. You're not blessed because of what you did. I'm not blessed because of what I did, Gideon's saying. He said, we're blessed because God has delivered these things into our hands. Salvation and deliverance has never been by works of righteousness that we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Christ our Savior, Titus 3, 5, and 6. Every good and perfect gift, speaking of the blessings, come down from the Father of lights in whom in Him there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Of His own will beget He us with the word of truth. We must receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Paul wrote, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one to the spirit of meekness. We read that a moment ago. And boy, these words are so convicting. Considering thyself. We struggle so hard in forgiving others. I, I, let me, I'll rephrase that. I struggle very hard with forgiving others. When there are sins against me, I wonder how many times I consider myself, lest I also be tempted. Hmm. We'll always sing a different tune when we're the guilty ones. <laughs> Lord, help us to consider ourselves, our frailties, our sin, our inabilities, our unwillingness. When we're tried and tempted, we want mercy, don't we? Well, that's what, that should be the first thing we give to those who are mercy. Be merciful and gracious.
with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Gideon was a meek man. <laughs> this is true of all the meek. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek Him. Your heart shall live forever. Psalm twenty-two twenty-six. Psalm 25, 9, the meek will he, God, guide in judgment. And the meek he will, will he teach his way. <laughs> All taught of God, as we saw a few weeks back. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. <laughs> the Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. What does he do with the meek? He lifts them up. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He'll beautify the meek with salvation. <laughs> Psalm 149, 4. And the Lord said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Our Lord Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He said, Because I am meek, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And in me you shall find rest for your soul. Well, Christ is our great example in all things. Peter wrote, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a weak and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. <laughs> the internal grace given freely to us by Christ is a, an ornament to the soul. <laughs> the inward man, the new man, it's out of reach of Satan in this world. He can touch the old man, but not the new. He can stir up the corruption in the old, but there is no corruption in the new. It's born of God and incorruptible. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, Peter said. The old man, the outward man is corrupt according to his deepful, deceitful lust. But in the Edward man is we're Christman, Christ's workmanship under good works. It's, we're, we're created uh, in righteousness and holiness. The grace of meekness and humility and quietness, well, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And it's what makes a man lovely in the sight of God. And in the sight of God, it's a great price. Lord, help me to be meek and lowly in heart. God gives the meek the beauty of salvation. He'll raise up in judgment for them, it says. <laughs> Not against them, for them. My Lord is going to stand on the day of judgment and plead my cause. And my cause is innocent because I am found in Him. Well, I pray that the Ephraim in us, if I may put it that way, might be subdued by God's grace and that we would be more like Gideon and show grace to those who oppose us. I think often about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. He, he wrote, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. You know, when I get to looking within, sometimes I think, my, my. But uh, 
Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Whatever we are, it's by the grace of God. However, with the believer, God's grace is never vain because the true child of God is going to labor more abundantly than one who takes pride in their grace. And then they'll tell you that it was not them that did it. It was the grace of God uh, within them. It's not them, but the grace of God that, that caused them to labor more abundantly and do the things pleasing to God. <laughs> That's why Paul could truly say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay, well, uh, I want you to look at verse 4 in closing. And uh, it says, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing them, speaking of the enemy. Now, question. Did you notice God's grace in verse 4? Gideon and the 300 men that were with him pursued the enemy. Not a one of them was lost. Not one. Started out with 300. Here's 300 men still with him. Not one of God's chosen will be lost in the end. Everyone that the Christ died for, all that the Father gave the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. Every single one. Not a one will be lost. Having loved his own, Christ loved them. How long? Until the end. Friends, that's grace. Marvelous grace. Amazing grace. Grace is greater than all our sin. Well, may God be pleased to give us that grace for the glory of God and the good of his people and for Christ's sake.